0: We continue to mock the 2012 NBA draft. I'm Tim Roy for Warriors.com, and let's run down our draft so far. Uh, The Hornets, with the number one pick, took Anthony Davis of Kentucky. Charlotte, at number two, took Thomas Robinson of Kansas. The Washington Wizards took Michael Kidd Gilchrist of Kentucky with the third overall selection. At four, Cleveland took uh, Ford Harrison Barnes from North Carolina. Sacramento, at number five, took Gar Bradley Beal. At number six, Portland. Took the Pride of Oakland High, Damian Lillard of Weber State. And, of course, Tom Tolbert for the Warriors at 7. Took Jared Selinger. Of course, that was before some of the information that has come out about the Selinger and some question marks about his back. Dion Waiters of Syracuse goes to Toronto at 8. Detroit at 9. Took Andre Drummond, the big man from UConn. At the number 10, the Hornets took Austin Rivers, the guard from Duke. And with the 11th selection, the Portland Trailblazers back on the clock, and they took guard Jeremy Lamb of UConn. And so that brings us right now in our mock draft, 2012 style, to the 12th pick, and that is the Milwaukee Bucks. And with the 12th selection, Frank Madden of brewhoop.com is going to pick for the Milwaukee Bucks. And An interesting year for Milwaukee, the big trade with the Warriors, Monte Ellis and Epe Udo come over, uh, not able to squeeze into the playoffs uh, with that particular group under Scott Skiles, what's up right now for, for the Bucks? What are they looking to do in this offseason?
1: Well, I think you could, you could only describe where the Bucks are now as, as at something of a, a crossroads, really. I think you know, when you look at the organization, both Scott Skiles and, and General Manager John Hammond being the last year's of their contracts, uh, you know Herb Cole, as, as an owner, has, has always uh, put making, made, making the playoffs as, as kind of a number one priority and so I think, you know, it's a bit interesting because you've got, you know, kind of the quote-unquote lame duck coach, uh, general manager, who obviously has pressure to to win games and make it back to the playoffs. And you have an owner who I think is is okay with that sort of uh, maybe a bit short-sighted focus. So it'll be very interesting to see how they approach the draft, given kind of the combination of guys available who are both, you know, maybe some more upside types versus guys who can come in and, and probably contribute more now. Uh, but I think just more broadly speaking – uh, you know, it's, it's a big, big year coming up for them in terms of, uh, you know, regaining credibility, I think, with fans. Uh, I think when you look at the current roster uh, with Monte coming over from the Warriors, I think maybe he personally didn't play as well as he would have liked sort of towards the end of the season. But, uh, you know, he meshed reasonably well with, with Brandon Jennings. I think Jennings actually played uh, very well with Monte, which I think surprised some people. Um, but, you know, I think the same token, you know, Monte being uh, potentially a free agent uh, a year from now, uh, Brandon needing a contract extension, uh, you know, he could get one this summer. I'd be a little bit skeptical that they're going to be able to reach an extension this summer, so then, again, next year you'd be looking at him being a restricted free agent. So it's it's a big year coming up for players, a big year coming up for the organization, and certainly, um, you know, I think that talent-wise they have, certainly a, the way they're constructed now, a, a chance to make the playoffs. I think that that's not really a question whether they have enough talent, but again, it's, you know, it's, it's a fickle business and, and being able to get everybody to mesh um, is is not always easy. And, and with a guy like Skiles, you know, he's obviously known for getting the most out of his teams, but um, there's also a history of, of him kind of, you know, wearing out and um, not just uh, an organization getting tired of him, but him kind of maybe sort of feeling like he doesn't, uh, it doesn't work anymore. And, and so I think it'll be interesting to see uh, how the season starts out for that reason, to see if, uh, if they can get off to a good start or if, if, uh, if they run into some adversity, how that you know sort of impacts things given all the, the situations at play.
0: Frank, when Monte Ellis on the roster and the Warriors drafted Steph Curry, all we heard for the ensuing years that those two would play together is that you can't win with that small of a backcourt. Has there been any any uh, reporting or, or talk like that in Milwaukee with Monte and, and Jennings?
1: I think that was really the big question coming in uh, when when the trade went down. Uh, obviously, Bogut is a guy who you, know, you don't find – defensive big men like him um, just, you know, sitting around in free agency available. You know, you, you, it's hard to get a guy like that. So trading him, uh, obviously the injuries were a big part of that, I think. I think just sort of uh, a loss of patience maybe on both sides. You know, he's obviously been been here since being drafted first overall in 2005. So I think bringing a guy like Monte, you know, you, you expect to get something back for a guy like Bogan. And... I think with Monte, he's such a unique player. Uh, you know, his quickness, his explosiveness, scoring ability, um, you know, and his ability to create for others I think is a bit underrated as well. But, you know, I think Bucks fans are certainly very wary looking at, well, you know, the, the Warriors have spent the last few seasons trying to make a combination of, of Curry and, and Ellis work. And, you know, is, is Jennings a better complement to Monte than, than Steph Curry was? I, you know, I don't think that's really necessarily the case, but – um, you know, when you look at the way the Bucks played, uh, you know Scott Skiles often gets this reputation as a as a grinded out defensive coach. But his teams have have at his previous stops always played at a very fast pace. Obviously, they've been defensively oriented. Last year was very unique in that while they kind of returned to the old Skiles approach of playing very fast, um, they were a much more offensively minded team than a defensively minded team, which was certainly a huge contrast to what we saw uh, in two thousand ten eleven when they were by far the worst offensive team in the league, and they were a very good defensive team with Bogut. So they really completely kind of flipped in terms of the style of the team. And obviously, they, you know, to be honest, they were playing well offensively even before Monte came on board, and then they kept it up with Monte uh, in the starting lineup. And I, I think you worry that you know, two guys who are, very, you know, who are each sort of undersized for their respective positions, uh, guys that, you know, to be honest, are, have not been known for their defensive abilities, um, I think I worry less offensively about the two of them, uh, even if they may not be ideal complements. But I think very, uh, you know, you, when you look forward and you say, okay, well, what's the future of this team? I think it's a very valid question to say, you know, are you willing to re-up Brandon Jennings at, you know, what's it going to be, 10 ten, ten plus million dollars a year, and are you going to be willing to re-sign Monte for, you know, at least the eleven that he's getting now, potentially more? Or do you want to sink twenty some million dollars a year into a backcourt that? You know, I think in the grand scheme of things, it's, if those are your two kind of best players, I don't think you can expect to be a, a real contender. So, it's a very difficult position that for the Bucks to be in. I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of us, kind of from the outsider, uh, would like them to certainly look at what they could get from Monte Ellis now rather than risk losing him next summer for for nothing. Uh, but I think the organization, you know, based on everything we've heard, and obviously the uh, you know the fact that they wanted him in the first place, I think probably a, an inclination, unless they find something they really like, to, uh, to give it a go this year with that pairing in the backcourt. So um, it'll most definitely be, a, I think, an interesting team, potentially a very fun team to watch. Uh, but, you know, is it a team that has a core that, you know, you can say, okay, this is the core, this is what we're building around? And I think that's a, that's a major question mark.
0: You mentioned Andrew Bogut. I wanted to get your thoughts on Bogut. What do you think of him, and what impact do you think he'll have on the Warriors if healthy?
1: Well, I think, I think that's the, the question, right, if healthy. I think, uh, you know, with Andrew, what he showed in the 2009-2010 season when the Bucks went 146 games and, you know, the whole fear of the deer movement and, and you know, that was the last time we had just a really a, a great excitement about the team in Milwaukee, and it ended up obviously being fairly short-lived. Uh, you know, Bogut going down with that freak injury before the playoffs even started. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's a really disappointing thing to look back on because I think when the trade was announced last year, I just couldn't help but think back to that and and think you know what what if what if that injury doesn't happen and and where might the Bucks be if it didn't happen? Uh, I think Andrew showed even the year after his injury that you know he was one of the absolute top handful of of defensive players in in the NBA. Not not just for big men. I think um, you know he led the league in shot blocking the year after the injury. An extremely cerebral player. You know, it's like having a, a another coach on the court. Uh, he's just a smart player, positionally. Um, you know he's a strong guy. He's rugged. You know he's not Dwight Howard, but you know I think I think people are are, are you know, realistic about the, the lack of Dwight Howard's in this league. So I think defensively you couldn't ask for a whole lot more. And I you know I think injury wise, when he's on the court, uh, he's generally been very consistent defensively over the last few years. I don't I don't think that's something that you necessarily worry about. I think the ankle, you know, you obviously hope that he's just fully recovered from that and that doesn't have any uh, lingering effects. But I think the real X factor for Andrew going forward for me, not just you know, okay, but obviously, can he stay on the court? But beyond that, you know, offensively, can he get back to sort of where he was uh, in the 2009 2010 season? Um, you know, I think the irony is that he's become this sort of uh, defensive oriented player in terms of the last few years going through the injuries. But, you know, coming into the league, he was known as an extremely polished offensive player. Uh, he was supposed to have a mid range jump shot. Uh, he is and was a great passer, has a great feel for the game. And the player that we've actually seen. Uh, was a guy who never developed his jump shot. Really, uh, a guy who struggled from the foul line his entire career. And I think you know the one thing we did see was the passing and also uh, the soft touch around the basket with both hands. And I think what was really disappointing about Bogut last year, before he uh, he fractured his ankle, was that he really struggled in the post. You know, if you look at uh, shooting percentages between three and nine feet, the so sort of which is his his sort of sweet spot in the post. There, he'd never been below forty percent. And I think last year. With the Bucks, he was in the low 20 percentile in terms of uh, his field goal percentage. So it, it was just very strange to see him look so uncomfortable in the post, despite the fact that his, his arm was actually looking much healthier than it did the prior year. So I think with Andrew, you know, it's a question, can he be a, an effective offensive player out of that low block? I think he has the skill set to do that. Um but I think you know we haven't seen it in, a, in at least a, you know two or three years, really since the injury. So I think that's really the kind of the the big question. You know, if, if Andrew comes back offensively the way he was before the injury, or close to that, then I think you know if he stays healthy, I think it's it's, it's a, it'll be a great move for the Warriors. You know, I think they'll have a guy that you know I, I know last summer, obviously they the Warriors went after pretty much every uh, center on the market, and I think you know obviously Bogus contract has a couple years left, but. Um, but I think the Warriors will feel pretty pretty good about their center position. So I think defensively, you kind of know what you're going to get if he's on the court. I think offensively, though, you know it's it's been a bit interesting his career, how it's tracked. And obviously I think that's where the injuries are probably the bigger concern.
0: Frank, uh, before I ask you on the pick, just one more question. And it's about two guys, Ilya Silva and Udo. Uh, I, I love Epe's game in, in terms of he contributes without needing the ball. And Ilya Sova really uh, broke out this past year. Talk about those two guys.
1: Yeah, I think Ersan, Ersan's interesting because you know it's a bit interesting, his situation now being a free agent and potentially needing a lot of money because you know, he came back to the Bucks. He was drafted the same year as Bogut, 2005, um, was very young at the time, ended up after uh, a couple years going back to, to Europe, playing with Barcelona for two years. And then John Hammond and company brought him back, actually, when Charlie Villanueva hit free agency. So basically they said, thanks but no thanks to Charlie, signed Ersan for uh, a fraction of what Charlie got from the Pistons, and, you know, obviously that it worked out quite well given given what Charlie did and, and what Ersan did, but I think when you look at Ersan, he over his career, he struggled uh, consistency-wise on the offensive end. Uh, he's a guy that obviously he's a, he's a stretch for. I think the irony of him finishing second to Ryan Anderson in the most improved player voting was that, in a lot of ways, they, they play very similar roles. They're, they're pretty good rebounders. Urson was a very good rebounder last year, maybe missing Bogut had a little bit to do with his numbers, um, but... Uh, he really kind of just gained confidence those last few months of the season from the outside. He's always had a good stroke, but he was always much more of a kind of 18 to 20 foot jump shooter rather than a guy who could stretch it out and effectively shoot three pointers. And last year, you know, I mean, you look at his his percentage numbers from three um, just blowing away his career highs previously. And, you know, that just made him so valuable as a guy who not only can step out and, and shoot threes, but a guy who will do the dirty work down low fight for offensive rebounds. I mean, the effort he gives is, is just tremendous. He's, just, I mean, he's a fun guy to watch, not because he's you know a highlight reel guy, but because of what he can do just fighting on the boards and and, uh, and doing the dirty work. So I think he, he you know, obviously was a, a revelation sort of down the stretch, but, you know, granted, when you look forward, you know, is he a guy that, hey, if, I think he's going to be at least an $8 million a year guy on the free agent market. And we all know, I think, if when you go in thinking, oh, a guy should maybe be worth this, there's always one team that comes out and probably gives him you know, 20% more than that. So I think my concern is that, you know, a team comes out and puts him into eight-figure territory where he's, you know, do you want to pay Ursan Ilyasova $10 million a year? Um, you know, at, at that price, I, I just don't think I'd, I'd want to see the Bucks go that high. I think Ursan's a quality player, but I think, you know, when you look forward, he's, he's still a young player, but by the same token, you know, he, he, I think, is kind of what he is. He's not going to be a, a go-to guy, obviously. He's not going to be a guy who's going to be a star, and so you just sort of have to, I think, salary cap-wise, I think as a team you have to sort of pick your battles a bit. And I, I think, honestly, for me, I would go into the draft sort of with that in mind in, in terms of how I approach and, and the sort of picks I would make. Um, I'm not sure if the Bucks will, will necessarily follow the way I would do it, um, but uh, I guess we'll, we'll we'll see in a moment here with, with the guy that I would pick.
0: Okay, so the NBA draft, our 2012 NBA mock draft, has come right down to uh – the 12th pick, and Milwaukee's on the clock. So Frank Madden of BrewHoop.com. If the draft unveils itself the way it has here, the Bucks would select?
1: Well, I would select Terrence Jones from Kentucky. Um, I think when you look at the, uh, the number of players that, that the Bucks have worked out that they appear to be leaning towards, I think you probably start with uh, a trio of big men with um, uh, Tyler Zeller, Myers Leonard, uh, as well as John Henson. I think those guys have gotten at least the most buzz in terms of uh, the media and kind of the whispers as far as who the Bucks are interested in. Um, I think Leonard and, and uh, Zeller kind of more cleanly sort of play the roles of Bogut replacements, guys who can slide in and play center. You know, could they start as, as rookies? I'm not really necessarily sure they could do that. Zeller maybe. Um, but certainly I think longer term, you know, you can kind of, I think, make the case that those guys are, uh, you know, the heir apparents to uh, to Bogut with him having been traded. I think Henson's an interesting guy because uh, he's you know, physically he's 216 pounds. He's the longest guy in the draft, but uh, his lack of weight probably makes him you know not gonna, he's probably not going to be a, a center in the next year or two. Maybe he can steal some minutes there. But the Bucks really talked him up after uh, after his workout. So you know, is it a smokescreen? Um, quite possibly, but they do seem to be connected with that trio. And then I think you look at some of the other kind of more wild-card guys, uh, Terrence Jones, Perry Jones, they've both worked out both those guys, and you know, both of them are more kind of those hybrid uh, forwards who are athletic, have good length, um, but you know, certainly they're not going to be playing center uh, despite that. So I think that group of five, if the Bucks stay at 12, is probably the group from which um, they would end up picking. Um, they're trying to get some of the other guards in uh, before the, uh, for the draft. Jeremy Lamb uh, had to pull out because of an ankle injury that he's sustaining in Toronto. Uh, Austin Rivers hasn't worked out for them. Um, you know, Waiters hasn't worked out, I guess, for anybody really since uh, you know, the supposed promise came down. So they, they're probably focusing on, on all these big guys, and it's worth noting that uh, since John Hammond came on board, they haven't selected anybody in the first round that they haven't worked out. So I think that it'll be interesting to see if they bring any of the other guys in because it's generally been a good indicator of kind of the subset of players that they'd be looking at.
0: Frank, thank you so much for helping us out on our 2012 mock draft. That's Frank Madden of BrewHoop.com, and and best of luck to your coverage. Thanks a lot. So the 6'9 forward from Kentucky, Terrence Jones going to the Milwaukee Bucks. We are through 12 picks of our 2012 NBA mock draft, and the Phoenix Suns are on the clock with the number 13 selection here at Warriors.com.